a delight to be with you this morning. At a, a previous church that, that we were a part of, my wife Erin and I once met with a couple, uh, uh, a married couple who was working to overcome a history of verbal and emotional abuse in their relationship. We were not the first ones to help them or the only ones to help them. And at the point when we were talking to them, the, the abusive behaviors were, as far as we could tell, behind them. The abuser had borne much fruit of repentance. The abused party was encouraged by the visible progress. They, they both were uh, trusting in Christ. But they, they came to us asking how to work through some of the ongoing implications of that history in their, their relationship currently. Because trust had been broken so deeply in their relationship that one party could barely speak a word without the other party assuming abusive motivations. And then the, uh, the one who, who had been the abuser felt really stuck as though they would never get out of the hole they had dug. And both had lots of questions and concerns, lots of practical worries, lots of fear. So we had two people who both loved Jesus, who both were changing, and they wanted to be close to each other, but they just couldn't do it. Forgiveness had been requested and granted many times over an acceptable period of trust building and repair with the fruit of repentance being demonstrated. Things had truly changed, and yet they were still at odds. The broken relationship produced major consequences that took a long time, even years, to address. Have you experienced such brokenness? Maybe you've been through some sort of abuse, but, but maybe your story is less dramatic. But you, you still know what it's like to cause offense to someone or to take offense at someone. You know what it's like to offer or to accept a heartfelt apology, to truly seek or grant forgiveness. And you know what it's like to make an authentic commitment not to hold the offense against the other person or for them to commit not to hold your offense against you. And yet, things just still don't work quite right. You're still irritable. You're confused or afraid. You're on opposite ends of the room with this person. You don't feel very close anymore. What do you do with this? What does God do with this? This morning, we come to chapter 33 in our study of the book of Exodus as we've been working our way through the book. If you have one of the church Bibles, we're on page 48 for chapter 33. And we'll see in Exodus 33 that God's plan for his people involves much more than forgiving their sin. It's certainly no less than that. He forgives their sin. But his plan is for full atonement of their sin. Atonement is one of those big Bible words that we use. We often throw around. It simply means covering. God wants to cover their sin. And the way he does that is 
not only through forgiveness of their sin, not holding their sin against them, but also through full relational reconciliation. The biblical idea of atonement equals both forgiveness and reconciliation. And so this morning I have two straightforward yet perhaps unusual points. Because sometimes we talk as though forgiveness is the end. My two points are, first, that we need more than forgiveness. And second, reconciliation is astoundingly glorious. Let me pray for our time in God's word. Our Father, we come before you needing your forgiveness of our sins. And yet we need so much more. Lord, we want to be close to you as well. And therefore, close to one another as we each draw close to you. Help us now as we study your word. Grant us understanding by the power of your spirit. Direct us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who draws us into your family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, we need more than forgiveness. Before I begin reading Exodus 33, we need to remember the end of chapter 32, which we studied last week. Because this is the continuation of a single story. In some ways, the chapter division here is unfortunate. Uh, If you remember, it, it, it was not there in the original text. If you were reading, you wouldn't even stop to catch your breath when you hit what we what we call chapter 33. In chapter 32, what happened was that God's people broke their treaty with God, the covenant. They broke it by crafting, worshiping and celebrating a golden statue of a young bull. And that treaty with God was so completely violated that Moses had to break the stone tablets upon which the treaty was written, picturing how completely the covenant had been broken. 3,000 of them died by the sword that day, and then God sent a plague. We're never told how many got sick or died from that plague in the last verse of chapter 32. This is not a bright moment in the history of Israel. Yet their leader, Moses, stood by them. He represented their best interests before God. He convinced God not to destroy the entire nation outright. And then Moses came down to deal with them, but but now he has decided to go back up to see if he could cover for them, if he could cover what they had done, if they could make atonement. We see this in chapter 32, verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to Yahweh. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So we must read chapter 33 in this light. Moses is trying to make atonement for their sin. Moses is looking for a way to cover their sin. And his first job is to beg God to forgive their sin, to wipe their sin clean and let them start fresh and not Hold it against them. And we saw this again in chapter 32, verses 31 and 32, where Moses returns to Yahweh and he says, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and he never finished that sentence, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. So he says, if you're not going to forgive them, please destroy me. 
And because God does not snuff out Moses' life and he does not destroy the entire nation, we can infer that God has chosen to forgive them. He's not going to hold this against them, though they still had to suffer. Some of them very much, 3,000 at least, have died. But God is at least willing to move on and continue to have dealings with them. To set this situation behind him and continue to have dealing with them. So atonement was the goal. Step one of atonement was to ask forgiveness. In this light, we now get to chapter 33. Verse 1. Yahweh said to Moses, Depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For Yahweh had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought Yahweh would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and Yahweh would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus, Yahweh used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Let's stop there for now. This powerful story illustrates a simple point that you can miss if you don't read it right after chapter 32. The point is this. Trust has been broken between God and his people. Trust has been broken between God and his people. There is a breach in the relationship. It's just like when a married couple has, or a group of friends have problems so severe that they need to create space and a time of separation. So in verses 1 to 3, God is willing to send the people on their journey. God is willing to send an angel to accompany them. God will keep his promises to them. He is not going to just wipe them out. But he can't go himself, verse 3, lest he consume them on the way. 
His expectations for them are so high and their performance has been so low that they can't even be together without causing an eruption. In verses 4 through 6, the people are devastated by this news. They are devastated by it. When they heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They take off their their ornaments to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Remember, these ornaments are the same things they fashioned that golden statue out of. So whatever's left of them, they take them off. They put them away. And then in verses 7 to 11, God officially moves out. If you remember, we spent a long time going through chapters 25 to 31, where God gave Moses extensive, detailed instructions for building a majestic tent that would be in the middle of the Israelite camp so that God could dwell with his people. But now Moses just has to make a makeshift tent. He pitches his own tent, verse 7. And he has to make it far off from the camp in verse 7. And he repeats this language of far off four or five times there, just in verse 7. To make sure you get the point. God is not dwelling with his people. He is dwelling far off, outside the camp. And God will meet there in that tent. He will come down in the pillar of fire on that tent to meet with Moses alone. Moses is the only one he will talk to. While the rest of the people have to stay back at their tents, at the doors of their tents, lest God consume them. And they watch and they worship, hoping that God might someday move back in with them. Keep in mind that God has forgiven these people. They haven't been wiped out. He has forgiven their debt against him, and he is still willing to give them the things he has promised them. But forgiveness isn't enough. The relationship remains severely damaged. These people can't live with God lest they be consumed. And yet they can't live without him lest they be devastated. How does this apply for us? Friends, men, women, adults, children, those who trust in Jesus and those who don't yet trust in Jesus. The application is the same. You need more than forgiveness. The forgiveness of sin, don't get me wrong, it is a marvelous, amazing biblical truth. The fact that there is a way to deal with your and my sin problem through the death of Jesus Christ that he paid the penalty for it, that he washes us clean and pure, and we can have our sins forgiven, that is an amazing gift. Amazing gift. And yet, God doesn't want us to love him for his gifts. God wants us to love him for himself. He wants us to see him as the supreme giver of gifts. He wants us to want more of him. And he wants to be close to us. So when Jesus came to die, he didn't do it to bring about a mere legal transaction like signing the marriage license 
or signing the adoption papers and then saying, okay, I guess you're mine now. Let's go our separate ways. No. He, he came to make us into a family. And he came to make us a family like no other. Not like our families. He came to make us into a family not ruled by bitterness or the silent treatment or indifferent cohabitation or bickering. But no, he came to make us into a family that plays games together. That's my picture of heaven. (laughs) He came to make us into a family that can't stop laughing around the table. He came to make us into a family that never runs out of things to talk about and things to celebrate about one another. The kind of family that makes all the other kids in the neighborhood jealous so they come over and hang out with this family too. You need more than forgiveness. What you need to complete the possibility of atonement is reconciliation. It's more than forgiveness. And so we move into the second point. The second half of the chapter, reconciliation is astoundingly glorious. Listen to the glory of reconciliation. In Exodus 33:12 through 23. Moses said to Yahweh, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, that is, God said, my presence will go with you. And the you right there in the Hebrew is singular. My presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. You see, for Moses, there's no difference between me and us. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And Yahweh said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What is going on? 
In verses 12 and 13, Moses wants to know definitively, God, will you send these people with me or not? When he says, you have not let me know whom you will send with me, verse 12, he's saying, God, you've told me that I can go into the land, but you haven't yet said that you're not going to destroy these people on the way. Are you going to send them? Who are you going to send with me? And he goes on to say, God, he's, he's basically saying this, God, you love me. You have said you have favor on me, but I love these people. These people and I are a package deal. If you get me, you get the people as well. And we just want to know you. We want to know you. He said that in verse 13. Show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. So in verse 14, God says, okay, my presence will go with you. But as I said, the you there is singular. God has favor on Moses and only Moses. And Moses is not okay with that. So he comes back in 15 and 16. He won't take it. Again, me and us are a package deal. This is for I and the people. And so in verse 17, God agrees because of how much he favors Moses. Okay, Moses, because I love you, I will take these people along as a package deal. This is a little bit like a former roommate of mine, a guy named Mark Bickle, who was a man in his late 40s who had never been married before. And he began dating a widowed mother. And a few months ago, they married. And in a single day, my friend Mark became a first-time husband and a father and a grandfather. All on the same day. In favoring this woman, he had to favor her family as well. There was a package deal. You get her, you get all the rest. And that's what it's like here. That's what Moses says to God. You get me? If you get me, you get the rest. So in verse 18, Moses then asks God to show him his glory. And when Moses asks this, you have to follow the argument they're having. When Moses asks God to show him his glory, it's like asking to see the ring on the finger. He wants God to put his money where his mouth is. And to prove that he will, in fact, be with the people. That he will reconcile with the people. That's what he means by show me your glory. Show me your glory so I can know that you will be with us. And so as proof of God's full reconciliation with the people, he will show Moses, verse 19, all of his goodness. And he defines that for us. His goodness involves being gracious and showing mercy whenever he wants. That is God's goodness. He is gracious and he shows mercy whenever he wants to. But his goodness comes with a catch. Verse 20, nobody can see his face and live. And so 21 and 22, what God will do is he will hide Moses in the cleft of a rock. He will cover him with his hand. Here's a a picture of atonement, covering. He will cover Moses with his hand while he passes by. And then when he removes his hand, Moses can see his back. What What's going on here? This is such a strange passage. We have to get the idea that Moses begs God. He is even arguing with God for a 
full reconciliation of God with his people. Moses seeks not only their forgiveness, but also their reconciliation. This is what atonement is all about. He wants God to move back in, to dwell among the people, and to be their God. Not in name only, but also experientially. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And so Moses will get even more than he bargained for. He will get access to the glorious goodness of God's mercy and grace. Because the only way God can be reconciled with his people is if God chooses to be gracious and to show mercy. That's the only way it's possible. So in writing these things down, in in writing the book of Exodus for us, God wants to teach us what goes into his work of reconciliation. He wants to show us what it takes for God to dwell with his people. These things were helpful to ancient Israel when they were written to help them know that they were truly and fully God's family. But even more, these things were written for us upon whom the end of the ages have come. The point here is not so much about Moses and Israel as it is about Jesus Christ and his church. You see, when God, before the world began, when he chose to set his affection on his beloved son, Jesus Christ, Jesus said, you're going to get all these people as a package deal. You can't get me without getting them. Jesus covenanted with the Father, the Son with the Father before the world began to rescue these people that he might bring us to God. And God loves us, not because we are lovable or particularly noble, but because Jesus has claimed us as his own, because God has chosen to be gracious. God has chosen to show mercy. When Jesus worked, to provide atonement, to cover our sins. When he came and he lived the life that we couldn't live and he died the death we couldn't die, he did what had to be done so we could be forgiven. And then he didn't stop there, but he also brought us close to God to be an intimate part of his family. Hear this in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, that is, since we have been forgiven, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Moses is not the only one who would get to see the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope that we will see. And we will see it in the face of Jesus Christ. You know the world does not work this way. The world tries to deal with offense against one another. The world tries sometimes to forgive and forget. Maybe we'll pretend it didn't happen. But we don't fix it. We don't make it right. In the, the world always walks on eggshells around one another. Or holds grudges. or backbites but this is not how god's kingdom works in jesus christ 
there is not only forgiveness, but also full reconciliation. True relationships. The unbelievable kindness of God and the bond of a peace with God that can never again be severed. How does this apply? Please be grateful for God's gift of forgiveness. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven and that he remembers your sins no more. Rejoice in these things. But even more, rejoice that you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That though atonement does involve a legal transaction, a declaration that in Christ you are not guilty and your sins will not be held against you. But atonement is not only a legal transaction. It is also full reconciliation to a family. It is the bringing of peace where once there was conflict. It is the bringing of peace where once there was the silent treatment, hostility, and separation. And this, uh, I need to remember this. When things feel hostile in my own family. Just yesterday, we had some hostility between children that we had to deal with. And it was amazing because that hostility spread like a, like a virus. And it infected, uh, it brought hostility between children and parents. And that infected us even further. And it brought further hostility between Aaron and me. I was like, what is going on? This is just spreading like wildfire. And I felt hopeless to do anything about it until I remembered Philippians 4, 5. The Lord is at hand. And I remembered the promise that God is with us. And because God is always with us, we can get through this. We could take some time to regroup, to ask the Lord's help catch our breath, and then move toward one another. Not move away, but move toward one another in hope. Because God is with us. God is not moving away from us. He has not moved out. Children, have your parents ever made you ask somebody to forgive them and you really didn't want to? And I have to go and ask them to forgive me? And then after that, did they make you play with that person? (laughs) That's so hard, isn't it? Even if they hit you first, even if they said something unkind, that's really hard to do when you don't feel friendly toward that person. But you have to know, this is not what God is like. God doesn't forgive us just because he has to. God loves to be with us. And he doesn't play with us because he has to. He loves to be with us. Jesus made that possible. And we all need to remember this. God is not out to get you. God is not disappointed with you. God is not scratching his head wondering how he got stuck with you. God is your delighted partner. God is your rock. He is your refuge. He has come to dwell with us. You have his ear and you have received his applause. You have a seat at his table and he will never let you go.
So in summary, you need more than forgiveness. You need God himself to be with you. And because of Jesus, you have him. If you only trust in Jesus. And so reconciliation is astoundingly glorious. In the face of Jesus Christ, we see the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for drawing near to us. Lord, we don't deserve it. We are a broken people. Lord, you should consume us and destroy us if we got our rights. But you have sent Jesus. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Jesus. And Jesus died so we could be forgiven and he rose from the dead so that we could be brought near and made a part of your family. Thank you, Lord, for drawing near to us. Thank you for being gracious with us. Thank you for having mercy on us. Help us to draw near to you and to rejoice in this family that you have made us, that it would spill out into the world, that this would be a family like the world has never seen, and everybody else would want to come and be a part of it. Help us to live that out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.